We are continuing our series in the book of Galatians, so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, please do turn to Galatians chapter 1, or if you've uh, got your phones, uh, get it on uh, your Bible app, uh, Galatians chapter 1. And today we are continuing to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and we're going to see a moment in his life where he describes this... um, this sense of a moment where life is never going to be the same again. There's something that happens in his life and everything changes. I wonder if you can think of those moments in your life where something happens, either something that you instigate or something that happens to you or something that you see and you think life is just never going to be what it was. It's never going to be the same again. I mean, I can uh, think of situations in my life. I think of back to uh, my sixth form years where I was in the library and I saw on the telly um, the 9-11, the the planes going into the two towers. And I thought, man, I've never seen anything like this. Like the world has been shaken by some events and the world on a global scale will probably never be the same Again, we might think more recently of the war in Ukraine or in the Middle East. We might think more personally of a health diagnosis or something that happens to us relationally, maybe with uh, other people. Uh, But this idea of life never being the same again, and we see that with Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the passage that we're going to read today. So it's Galatians chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 13. So this is Paul speaking. You have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God... That's the life is never going to be the same again moment for, for Paul. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, That's the Apostle Peter. And stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So Paul describes himself there in verses 13 and 14 as a man who was advancing in Judaism. Beyond many of his brothers, he was a man who was zealous for the ways of God and the purposes of God and the Jewish ways. That idea of advancing in Judaism, it's like, uh, the term is like in a jungle where people would cut through trees to make a way through the jungle. They're chopping their way through to advance, getting rid of anything that's in the way for the path or whatever that they need to make. 
And Paul was doing that. He was advancing. He was chopping ahead. And in his case, he was making sure that any Christian that stood in the way of, the, of what he thought was right would be removed. And if they were problematic, then he would make sure they were put in prison and, and potentially killed as well. So Paul was no backseat driver. Okay? He was no, I think of like, he was no troll online, like in the shadows. No one really knows who they are. He is frontline. He's a people-pleasing, Christian-hating hater. This guy, like we, we shouldn't uh, cover over who he was before. Because if we cover over who he was before and say, oh, you know, just a good man, a good guy, found Jesus, then actually we do a disservice to the grace of God and the mercy of God. And that's what we'll unpack uh, a bit more as we go on. So we see that in verse 15, that moment. But when God... Paul had his own plans. We can read about them in in Acts. We can see the moment where uh, Paul is actually persecuting Christians. Several uh, uh, stories uh, there. Paul had his own plans, but God had other plans. And God's plans always win. Okay, we can sort of try and work our lives around our own purposes, our, the, uh, the things that we want to happen. Ultimately, unless they're in line with God's will, <laughs> they're not going to happen. God's plans always win. We saw that recently with the story of Jonah that Steph preached to us uh, a few weeks ago. Jonah had some plans, God had some other plans, and God humbled Jonah, and God's plans won. Now, that's not a bad thing. God has good plans and purposes for us, for his people, for his world, for creation. So that's good. It's good that his plans always win, but they do. And we see that. But when God, God had a plan for Paul, a man who was bent Um, on death and destruction, now was interrupted by the God of grace. The God of grace broke in. But when God... These words speak of hope. They speak of the dawning of a new light. They speak of um, a defining moment in someone's life where God is going to do something special. But when... God. And Paul's testimony of coming to know Jesus and your testimony, if you are a Christ follower, starts with but when God. Well, it sort of, yeah, it starts with but when God, or it's got that but when God moment. And I just want to ask the question maybe you're not a Christian here today, and maybe you haven't had that but when God moment, but if you are, maybe just think back to that moment in your own life? What was surrounding it? What was your life like? How did God break in? And there would be as many different stories and testimonies and wonderful uh, stories of what God has done. And all of our but when God moments will probably be a bit different because he meets us where we are. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, He says to Christians, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
So I wonder how prepared you feel to share the hope, that but when God moment with those in your life, maybe with your family or friends or neighbors or work colleagues. Sometimes it can feel a bit hard to articulate what God has done in our life, but I would encourage us really with that but when God moment um, central to our story, just to think of our lives as before when Jesus broke, before, during, and then after. So the before might be that sense of, well, there was a time when I thought I needed to, to be in control of everything. Then, during, I heard that Jesus Christ had died for me and that he's now totally in control. And then afterwards, I now live in freedom knowing that I don't have to be a control freak anymore. Just a before, during, and after. The but when God moment where he just breaks in. And you can share a, a testimony like that really quickly. You could share that with a stranger. You could share that with a friend. A friend might just say, look, I'm really struggling to, um, with this health situation. And you might say, well, I've got a but, a but when God moment. Like I've got a moment, a time where I was really worried about my health. But... God broke in. He broke in with healing. Or I felt able to pray and talk to God about it, and he gave me strength in the moment. I haven't received healing, but he's been with me. There's a but when God moment. And I think if we, we would do well to get into that habit of being people who share Jesus like that. That's what it means to be a witness. It's what it means to share Jesus with others. And just to simplify it, before, during, and after. I've um, prepared something for life groups this week, and part of it will be just exploring that in your own lives. So hopefully you'll get an opportunity maybe just to articulate that, those moments, that but when God moment in your life. So God breaks in. Secondly, let's read verse 15. Paul was set apart. I'll read the whole of the verse. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. So Paul is saying that he was set apart by God in his mother's womb. So God's work begins in a believer's life, in anyone's life, before we were even born. Like before we came out of our mother's womb, actually inside, God's work was already, God was already about a good work. So before we could spell our name, before we knew which way was up, before we did any of that, before we had a clue, God's work was happening. So the story begins earlier than we often give God credit for. In our individualistic culture, often we focus on ourselves. It can be really tempting. We even sing a song that's got the words, I decided to follow Jesus. Don't we ever sing that song? Now, whenever we sing that song, I, I can, I get, I'll probably get the heart of it. And I guess all of us, when we sing words, we're all having to sort of interpret it in, in a way to what we mean when we sing it, because we're engaging our heart. But I just, I just think 
I, I didn't really decide to follow Jesus. Like, there was a moment where those around me could go, oh, Paul's now following Jesus. So in one sense, there was that moment. But actually, the work of God, the choosing of God, the pursuing of God for me happened well before that moment. God had plans and purposes and set me apart and set you apart, if you're a Christ follower, in your mother's womb. And actually, there are other verses that say, actually, before the beginning of time, God chose you and set you apart. I mean, that's amazing. Like Jude and I, we, had, we wanted to have children. We made plans for that and thought about that well before the kids ever came into existence. It's the same for God. Plans for a people, for a bride, for the church, for a glorious bride that would be his, that Jesus, at the end, will marry a beautiful bride for him. So God sets us apart, and he sets us apart for a special purpose. Over the summer, I love seeing the combine harvesters out in the fields. Yeah, we love that, don't we? Around Norfolk, you see the, the golden fields, and the combines come out when it's been dry, and it's, the, the grain is ready. But the combine harvester is doing a very special job. And at the end, it's breaking down the grain, the wheat, and it's making sure that at the end, there's just the grain left that then goes off, I guess, to warehouses, it's stored, and it ends up in our bowls as cereal. But they need to make sure that it's only the grain that comes through. The best bit, the only bit that's going to make it into cereal or to whatever it ends up being. So there's that tiny bit, there's a massive machine, there's a massive field but there's a setting apart of the grain for a special purpose. And God sets us apart for a special purpose. And he does that with, um, with Paul. Now, Paul, he would have been no stranger to have been being set apart by God. That would have been part of the vocabulary that he would have understood as a Jew. So if we look back way back in the Bible to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verses 6 to 8. God says this, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people. So this is, this is God's word to the people of Israel. Them being set apart to a group of people God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his holy people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were actually the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. That would be to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery that was in Egypt. If you've ever read the story or seen, uh, seen the film, the Disney film, you get that idea of being brought out of Egypt, but from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, there's a setting apart of the people of Israel for the purposes of God. 
So Paul would have had that as, like, that, that was his history. If he had have asked his parents, like, tell me about days gone by, he would have said, yeah, there was a point. The parents would have said, there was a point where we were set apart by God. We are a special nation. We're to be a blessing to the nations, a light to the nations. God has set us apart. So Paul would have very much known that, but he was a Jew. He's actually writing to Gentiles. He's writing in Galatians to a group of people that wouldn't have known that history. If they had have asked their parents, what's our history? It would have been very, very different. There would have been other gods involved. There would have been a whole host of different things that they would have believed. But Paul wants them to enter into this idea of them as Christians being set apart as well. And for us today, he wants us to join in and to know that we as well are set apart by God, set apart for his purposes. Let's read that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." I hope you're getting this sense of being like God's special work in your life individually, but also for us collectively. This sense of actually God is about a work. He's about a choosing a people. Paul was set apart for a special purpose. We read that in verse 16. Uh, where it says, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul was set apart to go and do something, and we as well have a special purpose. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are set apart to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us. God's got plans for every single one of you. He's got plans for you and your families. He's got plans for you and your friends. He's got plans for you and us as a community. Part of it is like individuals, but let's move that forward to the community, to God's plans and purposes, the good works that he has for us as a church together. And we're set apart for that. We are made holy to be holy. We're made holy to walk in the holiness that God has for us. And we'll come onto it in a minute about how we do that. But this setting apart, it begs the question, are we set apart because of us or because of God? Why are we set apart? You might be hearing all that stuff about being set apart, being special, and think, oh, yeah, I am actually quite special, aren't I? Glad someone's recognizing it at last. You know, we just, we might, it might stoke the sense of, oh, actually, you know, I I have been quite a good person. You know, I haven't done too much wrong in my life. I've tried to love people. 
Is that why we are set apart? Well, let's go back to verse 15 of Galatians chapter 1. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, called me by his grace. So the calling of God is by his grace. It doesn't say that he called us according to our good works. It doesn't say he called us because he realized we were a good person. He looked down and said, oh yeah, you're a good person. Great, you can have my grace. You're a good person, you can have my grace. Just called by the grace of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he describes a very, very similar set, uh, a, a very similar experience to being saved that he describes in Galatians. So 1 Timothy 1, verse 13, he says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This grace is God's undeserved favor for people. It's his favor, but it is totally undeserved. And I'd love us just to unpack this idea of grace because grace is so important, not just to uh, understanding how we're saved and how we become a Christian, but also how we walk with Jesus every day for the rest of our lives. So understanding grace is very, very important. And we can see a few things. The first thing we can see is that grace is a quality in God. So first and foremost, it is something, it is who God is. Just separate from who we are, if we look at God, we go, oh yeah, he's a God of grace. That's who he is. Romans chapter 5 puts it this way, if many died through one man's trespass, much more, that's talking about Adam's sin, so Adam and Eve, Adam's sin, if, what, if many died, if, if sin came into the world through one man's sin, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. It's the grace of God. It's a quality in God that produces free gifts for guilty sinners. It's some disposition in God that leads him to be kind and gracious and loving when we don't deserve it, especially when we don't deserve it. I don't know if you picked that up in Paul's uh, story there in 1 Timothy. It was almost like he was like, I actually don't, not only do am I sort of neutral, I, I actually just don't deserve this. I'm worse than that. It's his undeserved favor, and it comes out of the very heart of God. So when we receive grace, 
he's actually wanting to give it. As in, he's not like, you're not twisting his arm. He's not thinking, ah, oh, okay, we're sort of right on the edge here. <laughs> like, they've done some really bad stuff. I'm not too sure. I'll come back to you. No, God is willing. It is who he is. He's so graciously generous. For my kids, like, they, they get gifts, like, at Christmas and, and birthdays, and thankfully, as you sort of said this last week, thankfully the, the gifts are not dependent on whether they've been good or made good choices. So that's good for them. But my grace certainly runs out. Like, if, if, if it got really bad... Really, really, really bad. Like, there will be a point where my grace will run out. Now, you might judge me as a parent and think, oh, what a terrible parent. For all of us, grace runs out in our lives, like our, our grace for others. God's grace never runs out. So there's nothing you can do that will make God turn his face from you. There's nothing that you have done that makes God think, oh, no, 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 like, and turns away. He turned his face away from Jesus. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken in that moment of, of taking the sin of, of mankind, of the whole world, of humankind. He took it upon himself. He experienced that separation so that we don't have to. So next time you sin and you make bad choices, know that when you come back to God, hopefully super quick, because <laughs> he's a gracious God, know that you'll be receiving grace. You won't be receiving the rod. You won't be receiving that sense of like, you know, beating or a sense of like, oh, not again. Like, when will you learn? You'll be receiving the grace of God. Now, God's grace does teach us to say no to ungodliness, so he will certainly teach us, but we certainly receive his grace. It's who he is. And that grace is completely free and undeserved. Sometimes in our world, or just in our day-to-day -day lives, we come up against situations and circumstances where we just don't know the answers to like the things that we're facing. And if that's physical, we go to the doctor, unless you're afraid of the doctor, but generally, we go to the doctor, because we, we're like, I've got a problem, can you please diagnose the problem for me so that we can work this out, so that hopefully if there's a solution, I can get better. We go to the doctor. I wonder where we turn to for spiritual problems in our lives. Where do we turn to? If we go to the doctor, we could probably say, yeah, I'm struggling with my mental health, things like that. But deep spiritual problems, problems with the humankind, with the world, problems with our hearts, where do we go? I'd say go to the Bible. Go to God. And God diagnoses the problem in a number of different places, really throughout the, the Bible. But certainly in, if we turn to Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 18, 
Paul says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Okay, that's hard hitting. Okay, that's going to the doctors and then telling you you've actually got a really big problem. Now, at that point, you don't generally get angry with the doctor, do you? But we do get angry with God, which is interesting. Maybe something to think about. He diagnoses the problem. A couple of chapters on, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Me, you, we're all in the same boat and the boat's sinking. But thankfully, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. So we're all sinners, but we're all, those who come and trust in Jesus, are all justified by his grace. So it's totally free and undeserved. It's his grace given to us. And when we receive that grace, maybe for the first time, we are forgiven, we're welcomed in, we're adopted as his children. You might think of it like your sin being like dirty clothes that you're wearing. They're so dirty, so, so dirty. And you're looking at yourself and you think they're so dirty, there's just no point putting them in the washing machine. No point, they're beyond that. The washing machine's got no chance. Dirty clothes. And then you have Jesus, perfect clothes, perfect, spotless, beautiful clothes. Our dirty clothes, we might call that unrighteousness. His perfect clothes are his righteousness. Jesus perfectly followed the ways of God, 100% says that he fulfilled the law of God. So he did everything that the Father asked him to do, and he did it perfectly. We haven't. But in the process of becoming a Christian, what happens is that our dirty clothes are given to Jesus, and Jesus gives us his clean clothes. And the swap that's happening there is that we give him our unrighteousness, and he gives us his righteousness. So we, we then get to stand, not because of anything we've done, but we get to stand and approach God because of that righteousness. So God looks at us and he goes, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' perfect obedience. And he goes, yeah, you're welcomed in. I can see you're, you've trusted in Jesus. You're righteous. Come on in. Welcomed in. That's the amazing grace of God. Totally undeserved. Beautiful gift. But we must have his righteousness. 
So if you want that welcome from God, your creator, say to Jesus, I'm so sorry I've lived my life apart from you. And we might need to you know, say this again and again in our lives. I'm so sorry I've lived not for you and I've made bad decisions. I trust that Jesus, what you did on the cross in taking my sin, I trust that that was enough to save me. And Jesus goes, it is more than enough. Like, have my clothes, have my righteousness. You are welcomed in. That is the grace of God. He welcomes in repentant sinners, those who know that they need saving. Those are the people he welcomes in. Christians should not be high and mighty, like, oh, we're better than everyone else. No, they are the Christians, people who have trust in Jesus are people who know they've needed help and still need help. And I want to encourage us, don't just lean on God's grace at the start of your journey with Jesus. Lean on his grace every single day for the rest of your lives. So when you sin, come back quick to God's grace. Don't like take a few days, wait for that feeling of like, oh, I've messed up again. Don't wait for that feeling to pass and then suddenly you feel like, oh, maybe I can be welcomed in. Come with that feeling of like, ah, back to the grace of God. And he loves to welcome you in there. To finish, I just want to read the story that Jesus told in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. Should we stand? And Joe and Claire, if you guys could come up. We are going to respond in a minute. We're going to sing, but there's also uh, communion on the back table. So when we do, like in the next song, please do um, go to the back, take the bread and the juice representing Jesus' body and, and blood. If you're not a follower of Jesus, please just enjoy the song. But I want to read this story of the prodigal son because it just communicates the wonderful grace of God. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." Do you hear that sense from the son of like, I'm going to work my way back to the father's love? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
So he got up anyway and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So this is the father's heart, not just to this son, but this is God the father's heart towards us today. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you see he doesn't get to the next bit, being like, hi, I'm your servant. doesn't get there. But the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Father, we thank you so much that you welcome us with that sort of welcome. It's arms round. It's let's have a party. Welcome back. Best robe, best meat. Let's celebrate. We thank you so much that that's your father heart, that we can keep coming back to you time and time again, day after day, hour after hour, saying, God, thank you for your grace. I've messed up again. Thank you that you welcome me in. And I pray that you'd help us to do that. Make us a grace-filled church, even more than we already are. May we be so shaped by your grace that it, it impacts our relationships with one another. It impacts how we deal with one another, how we care for one another, how we move towards one another in love. We need your help. So please change us and transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.